app that is called Backtrack that from a data privacy perspective may be somewhat questionable, but it would basically keep a continuous recording of your microphone all the time. You can set it to like 30 minutes, one hour, two hours. And if you at any point say something really interesting that you want to catch, then you can like backtrack and capture that. Other than that, it just keeps recording. And if you had like an interesting conversation next to your laptop, you're like, hey, last 30 minutes were really cool. You can then just capture it. Oh, that's neat. Yeah, that's neat. You know, it's, it's so funny, right? Like people are like in privacy a lot, including I'm like, hey, just be careful privacy. And it's like, but if you give your privacy, it's so freaking cool. It's like, yeah, that's right. Let's look at this. So what were you saying a second ago? You're saying having a mic on changes how you talk. So we could just we could just like leave the recording on, use the backtrack app, and then and then we would just be like just chilling. I mean, one downside is I'd be chewing gum. I'm chewing gum all the freaking time. And people, listeners of our, of our show, don't know that I'm chewing gum all the time because you know I'm like. I'm exaggerating it there, but I don't know. Maybe, maybe those can be edited out. Maybe we do some like machine learning to like edit out Sebastian chewing gum because like when we're not on show, I'm chewing gum. Yeah, the psychology is super interesting. I, I really would like to know what's going on there because why is it different? That the moment you feel like you're observed or you're being listened to or yeah, you, you slightly change. In I think they call this in maybe theater. I'm not sure where this term comes from. Being stifled. Interesting. And um, you know, this has even influences on how loud you talk. They think that there is like so everything that I've read. There is again with almost everything. I mean, almost everything in humans. There's an evolutionary component where if you're not sure where you're so this has to do with social status in a group. If you're not sure that you're free to be dominant, be loud, for example, then your your mind will, like your subconscious mind will tell your conscious mind, hey, like don't speak up, like be a little bit, like keep it, keep it down. Don't make a, like don't put yourself into a position of maybe challenging the dominance hierarchy in that group. Yeah, like the king's gonna freaking execute you if you make a ruckus. Exactly. Yeah. But if you're the king, you can make a ruckus because you're the king, you can get the chicken throw on the floor, whatever it's there, it's like the king's is. Do you ever yeah. read, um, you know, on that note, do you ever read uh, Franz de Waal, the, um, the primatologist, uh, your chimpanzee politics, and a bunch of other things? Mm, no, but you mentioned a book to me that I haven't read it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, read, I, read, I read a couple I read a couple notes. Um, Wonderful little book. Wonderful. Man, like chimps are, are crazy. They're like, right. Definitely. They're like very, they have a lot common with humans. Don't it's terrifying. Mess actually. with chimps. Oh, yeah, don't mess with them. But like, but the, the complexity of their societies is, 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 it's just like, it's really like, um, it's funny. Like, there's like a threshold. There's like a threshold where you can like use language and symbolic reasoning and use that to like bootstrap. Everything else, I suppose, and they're just like right below it. Do you know right. what I mean? Because they use tools and like figure out how to build like ladder-like tools and all kinds of stuff, and, and they're able to solve complex uh, problems. Um, the, the humans uh, design like press these buttons, yeah. order solve this puzzle, to get some some food or whatever. But uh, you know they can't invent writing and currency. They're actually better on some cognitive challenges like working memory. They can keep. Um, so there's a game where um, different. I actually did this the other day. I got I got a little bit into um, sort of some metrics. So I did some reaction tests, um, trying to see if my my reaction times change depending on how I feel in the morning, depending on how much sleep I had, if I had like caffeine, if I like, if I felt like I was in a good mood, and just see if there's at all any influence on my reaction times on these on these tests. And there were some other tests, and one is I think roughly um, it's similar to an end back test um, on a pattern. Certain numbers will will be shown, and then you have to hit those numbers in the right order. So there's there are some cubes. You get to see the numbers of the cubes. You have to store. So this is the two. This is the three. This is the four. This is the five. And then the numbers disappear, and you have to remember the order, and you have to yeah. get those cubes in the order. And chimpanzees are actually better at that test than humans. Humans okay. I think clock out at five. Um, the median is five, and the, the chimpanzee is like nine huh, um, on this particular task. I don't know how this maybe this relates to like seeing apples in the trees or something in there. Well, hold on a second, hold on a second, hold on a second. As a control condition, yeah, we have to give the chimpanzees Instagram for a while and like let them scroll and like destroy their attention span and then retest them. It might drop down to four. We might be better under the Instagram social media brain eating right. uh, condition. Yeah, um, yeah, they, they haven't maybe they haven't had their minds ruined by information uh, technology. Mm. Oh, oh, the chimpanzee thing, right? The 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 thing you're saying about oh my gosh, the mic is on. People are gonna listen. I'm gonna just be. It's just different some way. Chimpanzee politics, fascinating book. I can't recommend it. It's heartbreaking. The ending is, is heartbreaking. I'm, I'm spoiling a little bit. It's like it's like it's like a real story about these these chimps in the, the zoo and, and like some, some real heartbreaking shit happens. So I can't like you know some people are just like a pure scientist that doesn't got any relation with anybody you know and maybe maybe can, can get into that. If you got a little bit of that man, I'm not an easily heartbroken person. I'm not like a cry all the time type person. I, I was a little bit I was a little bit sad, a little shaken up by the end of the book. So it's a little bit of down, downer. However, there's some concepts in there that are excellent. And uh, the wall. So, so zoos before like a modern more modern movement were like very like like entertainment for the people going to the zoo and horrible for the animals. And it looks nothing like the right. environment, right? Well, people like Jane Goodall would like go out and study in the wild. Which is much better because how animals, chimpanzees, actually do things. But it's presents its own challenges. Like the wild is freaking big, right? So it's like very hard to keep everybody inside. Everything's going on. Franz Wall was really interesting. They built, the, I believe, the Arnhem Zoo. I'm going off memory here. The Zoo, and I believe it's in the Netherlands. Um, and it was designed like pretty big, and it was like very like amenable for a chimpanzee. Like quite wild. You kind of do whatever you want. It's got mixed trees and vegetation stuff and a little river and like the chimps can kind of have something approaching what the type of life they would want to live in natural 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 environment ecosystem. But it's small enough that they can observe just about everything. And they developed like a sophisticated way to 
track all the behaviors of like this chimp walked up to that chimp. This chimp picked up that chimp's child. This mother picked up their child. The child started crying. So they did a notation and they noted down just about freaking everything. They did. Amazing science. I was like blown away about the sciences. Then it's just drawing conclusions. One of his conclusions that this is something humans have. I hadn't heard the term before. I was fascinated by this. Chimps have what's called triadic awareness. So a lot of animals can be like, okay, um, there's a big freaking angry dog. And I'm like a smaller, less angry dog. The big freaking strong dog I shouldn't mess with because it'll like rough me, rough me up if I mess with it. Mm-hmm. Fair enough, right? So the big freaky dog wins. I believe chickens are the same way. They have a pecking order where they go like harass each other by pecking on them. It's kind of nasty and brutal. And then like whichever chicken is the better pecker, stronger, whatever, like it's kind of like they just sort themselves into like whichever chick, the big boss chicken is the big boss and it's the second chicken, the dupe chicken, you know, kind of whatever, right? Well, humans are different. Chimpanzees are different. And that humans can also understand as it relates between two people, right? Their social, the social sets of third party in relation to each of them, right? So little dog, big freaking dog, right? But there's a third, even bigger dog that's your friend or your dad or your mom. I can be a freaking aggravating dog. I don't need to back down to the big freaky dog. Because my mom dog or my dad dog or my friend dog is even bigger than that dog, mm. right? Uh, apparently dogs I don't think have this. I'm not sure. I could check. But chimpanzees do have this, right? So, so simpler animals are not able to say like, hey, what is the coalitional strength here, right? Likewise, a chimpanzee could be the big strong chimpanzee. But see, there's two chimpanzees that might be a little less stronger individually, but our friends. So if I try to go beat up on one of them or intimidate one of them, the two of them could like chase me down or beat me up, right? right. So triadic awareness. The really interesting one is when there's ambiguous status, right? So there's plenty of times to be two little baby chimpanzees when they're together. The slightly bigger one would bully the smaller one, and you know, chimpanzees are. It's also interesting about how horrible chimpanzees are to each other at times and how nasty yeah. they are. They can be cool and cooperate and stuff. But they're also really freaking nasty. I'm like, oh wow, this is like. You know, all the niceties of human things with stories and stuff is gone. It's just animals. Yeah. Sometimes they're really cool with each other and they're cooperating and solving problems together. And sometimes they're just like, want to walk up and smacks the other one for no reason. It's just a freaking jerk chimpanzee. Like, whatever. It sucks. So it's kind of like, oh man, all those like uh, very hopeful people that, you know, it's just because, uh, you know, it's just because the, 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 the French monarchy is shit. That's why the people are awful. It's like, oh, sorry. There's no, there was no uh, chimpanzee the 13th or whatever that's, uh, you know, heir to the throne or whatever, the crown prince of the chimps. Sorry. It's a revolutionary lineage, right? Like, that sucks. But two baby chimps, adolescent chimps, won't go up and smack the other one, take its food, whatever. Nasty. Sometimes. Unless. The mother of the other chimp is bigger than them, then it would like leave them alone and be on best behavior. Mm. But then if its mother, the, the bigger chimp, was tougher than the mother of the smaller chimp, then it would be nasty and smack the other, and so it was able to yep. simulate everyone's position. Yep. Well, awesome. with something like public speaking, I think it's one of the intimidates people or something like podcasting, which is into the ether, the void, you know, you, you know who's listening, right? And I don't know, maybe that, that knows on you. Mm. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, it's definitely, it's unknown. I think it's unknown social repercussions. It's like, I mean, first of all, it's, you know, it's all very, um, you, you see that it's a remnant of a time when, I mean, these days, like the worst that could happen so like public speaking is like, tripping over a word and looking silly for a moment or something along those lines and you're not going to get ostracized for doing that and um it's not there's no immediate risk to your physical uh, body uh, but i think um it, it's the same it's still the same mechanism um at least that's what i've read that you know coming from being ostracized in, in, in prehistoric times or even hunter gatherer tribes is basically in many, in many cases also a death sentence like the worst thing that could happen to you and uh, it's the same mechanisms or, or brain circuitry that is activated there potentially when, when you um when you perceive the thing that you're doing to be uh, a risk to your social status and to your social um, stature. Um, most people most people think this way, don't they? Most people have a worry about that, right? Like public speaking, Jerry Seinfeld had that famous bit where he's like, you know the number two fear in America is death. Number one, <laughs> public speaking. You'd rather be the guy in the coffin than the guy eulogizing them, right? Do you think this is common? Uh, yeah, I think it's common. I mean, statistically, I think that otherwise, if it weren't common, then, you know, this joke would not be um, correct. I do, I do believe that um, it's common. And I also think almost that it's, it, ha- it really doesn't have much to do with logic and reasoning and thinking about it. I think it's, like your mind is assessing the situation is like uh, I'm doing something there's other people involved it really sure. comes down to some kind of innate almost instinctual fear of this activity well it's like when, it's like when a bush rustles and you're like oh no is that like an animal or a burglar and you check it out and it's not and it rustles again and startles you again and you're like I know it's the freaking bush right, yeah. right? it's not you know like I, I, there's, it's the bush still you know and so the reason I ask is this common is because this is an area that I'm um so I'm almost certainly, I think we've talked about this on the show, I'm very comfortable talking about this in person. I know it's like cool these days, so I hope it's, I hope I don't come across like I'm trying to be cool. I'm pretty well convinced and, and pretty high certainty that I'm, I'm high-functioning autistic, right? So I never had a, a formal diagnosis as such. It was a little bit less common. I was born in 1985, it was a little less common um, to, to be known. Um, my parents were a little bit worried about me, that I was a little bit off when I was a preteen. So I went and I saw a, a psychologist and they said, hey, your kid is a, is a prodigy. Uh, he's, he's brilliant. I had some savant skills, but he's basically four years behind the grade average. 
um, of the other kids. So when I was 12, so when kids are 12, they engage, they start, there's like a, a development curve of kids, right? So if your kid is like, uh, you know, peeing in their diaper when they're like one year old, it's like totally normal. If your kid's like 17 and peeing in their, their underwear, that's like, you got something's going on, right? They didn't follow normal curve. That's, that's, not, that's not how it's supposed to go. Kids around preteen years start to get a little more rivalrous, right? And I was like an eight-year-old. I was like, who wants to build a pillow for it? <laughs> I was still very cooperative. So I was like, right? I was like behind, I, I caught up in my like early 20s because like the first time I got 27 year olds a little bit, not much, right? But that's not the thing they found. I was like about four years behind grade average in emotional maturity. But later, I looked into it when I was older. I went through some diagnostic stuff. Almost certainly, there's like 17 common characteristics of autism. I have like 16 of them. I didn't make involuntary noises. Literally everything else, right? I'm sure I process information differently than other people. I'm like dead certain that I do. I haven't looked into this quite a bit. And I was also like, fearless implies that you could be afraid and aren't. Do, do you know what I mean? Like fearless implies you could be afraid and aren't. Right. So I would like absolutely speak back to teachers without realizing that I was like violating the the the, the norms, the cultural soup, the milieu, whatever. Right. I didn't realize. Right? I remember one time I was, I was a freshman in high school. The science teacher um, got something wrong on the board. It was like a, I don't know, physical sciences class. It was like an overview of uh, whatever, chemistry, geology, physics, whatever, something like that. Um, and then I got some equation wrong. And I, I would like get bored during class, during the first week of class. I would just like, read the whole textbook while the teacher was talking all week, first week of class. And I would know the stuff pretty good. So I'm not a bad student. And uh, teacher got an equation wrong on the board. I think it was chemistry related. And I go, teacher, that's wrong. The teacher says really like snidely, like in a really like, unpleasant way. Thank you, Mr. Marshall. And I go, you're welcome. And he goes, that's not helpful. And I say, what's not helpful? He's like, I'm like, you got the equation wrong on the board. He's like, that's not the point. I'm like, but isn't the point that we're supposed to learn science? If you get it on the board wrong, people write in their notes wrong and they won't learn science. Dude, this guy was going to blow his freaking stack. He was so like, I didn't fully understand that, but he was like heated, right? Like, I showed him up now, now in my late 30s. I very much understand what I did. And I almost feel bad about it. Right? I'm kind of like cringing a little bit now that I did it. You know, like, I was observing this as an adult. The kid was doing this. Other people kids aside later, like, hey, kid, you're obviously really, really bright. Let me just yeah. walk you through how the world works. Well, yeah. <laughs> you know? I mean, I, consider... so I didn't have the, the module, you know? Yeah. That, like, that's, that's like, I mean, I can, just a. Uh... You know, sidetracking to the specific point, making a, like, that's a, how do you say, unforced error on his part. If he's just like, yeah, thank you for pointing it out, I'll correct it, and, and then, you know, you have a pleasure. Oh, I mean, yeah, well, I mean, he's like an insecure guy. I mean, I, you know, actually, tangent off a tangent, you know, I feel like the first profound insight I ever had in my life, I've told you this before, I feel like the first good idea, because you know, when you're like a kid, you know, that many good ideas, right? And the ideas you think are like freaking great, or like, not that great. You know what I mean? I, I remember the first great idea I had, and this made me, the later I've come around, I'm like very respectful. Like, it's so hard to do things in the world, it's so hard to coordinate. People really try. It's like hard to run a good school, it's like hard to teach a class, it's like hard. I love respect for everybody that tries, and I like my anti authority phase is like very over, like, it's very, very difficult to do anything. Maybe not everyone's trying. That might be like, but they're like kind of trying, and like it's very difficult. I'm very sympathetic to to to, to, to the world. I'm not like oh the freaking jerks that are screwing all this stuff up. I'm like yeah, I get it. It's like, really hard to do. It's amazing that anything works, right? But I remember the first good idea I had. This kind of kicked off my. I was like a very obedient, respectful, get good grades, when I'm told kid. And this is what kicked off a bit of a rebellious phase on my part. Was I was like twelve. I was like twelve, ish, thirteen, something like that, similar age. And I remember maybe fourteen, something like that. And I remember I was like looking at the teachers in either middle school or high school. I guess it was high school. So I was like thirteen, fourteen. I was born in August. So I was like younger than some other kids, right? And I remember I looked at the English teacher. And I'm like, this English teacher doesn't like teaching and doesn't like children. This English teacher doesn't like their life. This English teacher has like failed to build a good life for themselves. And like, why do I want to learn from someone that has failed and has an unhappy life? And the science teacher like does not like, he probably wanted to be a scientist or something. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Or certainly maybe he wanted to teach in a more prestigious school than this or whatever. Do you know what I mean? But like, he doesn't like the boat that he wound up in. He doesn't like his life. I perceive that. And I said, why am I learning from these people? What can I, I want to learn from people that did something cool with their life, that are like happy with their life, that are doing something they enjoy and are good at it. These people are not good at what they're doing. They don't enjoy it. They don't like children. They don't like teaching. It's unclear if they like their subject matter. Maybe they did 10 years ago. They don't anymore. Why am I learning from them? And that kicked off like a super rebellious phase. People are like, you have to go to school. You gotta do this. You gotta do that. I'm like, no, I don't. Like, no, I really don't. You can punish me. There's all kinds of stuff you can do to me, up to like imprisoning or killing me, but you can't make me do anything. A little logical deduction that I figured out. And I think like that was like the first good idea I had in my life, which is like, don't take advice from people that you don't want the, their life in the area that they're advising. Yeah, like, adults will tell kids what to do. And like, a lot of those adults are freaking miserable and unhappy and ineffective. Like, I'm not going to listen to them was where I was at as a teenager. I've become much more sympathetic. It's very hard to run school. You know what I mean? Like, this is very, very challenging. I don't, I've kind of given up on this anti-authority thing. Like, sometimes yeah. I kind of roll my eyes when things are going really badly. Like, I feel a little bit better. This kind of sucks. But like, I'm not. Especially these days where there's no capital punishment. I still live in America. We kill people in America. I guess in Germany, you're, you're past it. In America, we still people can kill in America all the time. Bang, bang. I mean, I could see running a class if you could like slap your pupils on the hands, but these days it's going to be Note from Spotify. Yeah, I mean, I don't know, the whole school system is, I mean, it was built on a, by the way, it was your freaking country that built the school system, Russian education system. Hmm. Yeah, well, I think we did a good job at the time, but. Well, yeah, it makes, it makes great soldiers and factory workers. It makes great soldiers <laughs> and factory workers. No, the whole thing yeah. is designed to train you to do that, yeah. right? Right. Creative yeah, yeah. problem solving and 
lateral thinking and, and like even teamwork. It's very like individualized outside of so a little bit you play like team sports or something. Like how do you be a great teammate? How like, have unique and interesting ideas? How do you be excellent? Doesn't, doesn't do that. It's really very like what is completely missing is the meta element of like there should be a class about learning. You know, I think like studying one one is like learning one one. This is different techniques. If you don't understand something, this is how you dig deeper. And now let's apply this to math, biology, physics, and so on languages. Um, I felt like that was. A little bit, uh, you, you, I don't know, I feel like that came definitely too short. And the ones that, for whatever reason, got it, had really an advantage. And if you didn't get it, then if you don't know how to learn, just putting more math biology in your, in your face is probably not going to help you in that regard. And yeah, so that's definitely, I would say, a shortcoming of, of school systems these days. Not sure if anyone does that better. Um, I, was in, uh, I was briefly in an IB program, International Baccalaureate Program. Started a private school. Did well for one year. I'm like, this sucks, dropped out. Right? Testing mm-hmm. the International Baccalaureate IB school. Was there for a while. I'm like, this sucks, dropped out. Was still able to get your life, your screw life up so much. Was still able to get almost a four scholarship to college. I was able to figure it out. I was able to, um, test out of a high school degree, but then convert the GED to graduate equivalent. Hmm. I don't know, something mm-hmm. like this American thing, right? I was able to get equivalent of a, a GED, which is like, mm, like it's, it's kind of like your senior, it's a mixed bag. It's like, it's kind of cool, it's kind of like your screw, but you're able to convert that to a high school degree, and it's a long story, but whatever. I was able to get a high school degree, and then I did okay in the SATs, which is American entrance uh, college exams. And I was still able to get a, a, a mostly scholarship, I guess a monthly scholarship, um, to college off of, of that. So like, so first time I like, broke the rules a couple of times, and like, the five conventions, and, like nothing bad happened. I don't know, I think when that happens to people that, that you're like, eh, you know, like, eh, I don't need to follow the same scripts everybody else does, you know? Um, but I think that's a very valuable lesson to oh, yeah. learn. Like, I think um, I got in very little trouble. At least actively, as a child, I got in some trouble by not even trying to get into trouble and just, you know, not even thinking about it, just doing some some stupid things. But I never, you know, I never. The police never had to bring me home. I think I think it would have been good to at least one time, you know, just get a, just get into a little bit more trouble to realize that it's not that bad to get into trouble. You know, if you don't cause any issues, if you don't cause any harm, like if you're just being a little bit rowdy, um, just to learn that maybe, yeah, being a little bit flexible with structures and seeing that there are potentially some changes to structures possible and that not everything, you know, is maybe the way it appears on the outside. Rules sometimes can be bent, um, or can be. You know, there are some shortcuts um, that, that, that save time and save energy and maybe come up with a better solution. So I think that's a valuable lesson. Yeah, I mean, I mean I, so, you know, my, one of my issues with the school system, right, is the school system, you know, is about rote memorization more than synthesis. So it's like, you know, in the American school system, like, why the American Civil War happen? And, like, you give a list of reasons. Slavery is one of them. Lincoln's election. Maybe say something about the federal versus local, whatever. I'm like, that's the right answer you're going to have, right? But it's not like, hey, like, what is war? Why does it happen? How does that go through stages? Like, what do wars have in common? What do wars have different and, and like how should we live our lives if like war is like a thing like it's war worth fighting do you know what i mean like can they be avoided and like you know like what if somebody's like a really big bad big bad tough thing next mm-hmm. to you and they're gonna rough you up if you go to war but they're just like you know encroaching on your way of life and, and then they're, they're being a bit of a bully but you're gonna lose if you go to war like how do you deal with that you know um and you know and stuff like that you don't learn that in school and, like i don't know maybe i don't know maybe teenagers i don't know if they can learn that, they have that much exposure to teenagers recently maybe it's too much right but it's like you know, memorize facts such such happened in 1776 like what was the world like in 1776? Like, like, where was the state of electricity? Like, what industries were important? Like, how many people were farmers? Like, what's going on in farming? Like, why, why, why 1776? Why didn't happen in 1776? Do you know what I mean? Like, why? Why? Mm. Yeah, that's, super, that's, that's super interesting. Putting a decision into the, the wider context of what was life like at the time, what was going on in people's minds. I, I'm just reading a book. It's called How Music Works. And he talks about, like, why music from a certain period sounds a certain way. Very often has to do with where were people listening to that music. So, for example, um, this music. So, we listen to classical music. Classical music these days is listened to in big opera houses. Everybody's quiet. And it's this very prestigious thing that's it's, you know, connected to like a little bit like the upper class elitism apparently that wasn't always the case and some like that was basically like listening to live music was sort of the only um, entertainment that was available and people would dance and people would talk while um this kind of music was playing so the composers had to had to like factor this into their into their um the way they were writing music and for example said okay we need to get louder we need to like add more people to this uh, we can't have like just like one violin quietly playing because they will just get drowned out by the noise of the crowd and so they the the, the experience like the music was adapted to the environment in which it was experienced and that's i think an interesting metaphor because i never thought about that and um, yeah very similar to yeah um something like in the background like hey how many what's the psychology of the people like how do they interact with uh you know war and disease and poverty and, and literature like so many factors come into play when you when you look at how certain 
um, movements developed in a, in a time. So two thoughts. The first one, the music is really interesting. My favorite piece of classical is Four Jackson Nine Symphony, right? The New World Symphony. And I remember listening to that a couple times. I'm like, oh, people could dance to this, but then I immediately discarded that idea because like that's stupid. We listen to things in concert halls, right? You know, we listen to things in, in the symphony hall, right? And that's interesting. And like. I always was like, so, so, but the story, I don't know if it's true or not, or the story I heard about that, it might be apocryphal, was that uh, Dvorak, um, Central, Central European guy, um, visited the United States and actually saw a Native American dance. And, and, and the, the music is like a, a recreation, a recreation, a, a auditory, what it was like, kind of if you were there, right? But I was like, okay, that makes sense that there's like a dancing kind of sort of thing about the dancing sort of thing. But yeah, I wonder if people actually dance to Dvorak's night. I imagine people listening to that, you know, in a freaking tuxedo or an even gown, um, you know, at the Metropolitan or whatever, you know, and uh, yeah, that's, that's really interesting. Relatedly, there's some kid that loves music, right? That loves music and hates history and hates business you know, and hates commerce. And if they went down that line, they might learn, hey, okay, how much were they charging for a ticket to one of these things that people were dancing? And that might be an entry point to a little bit of understanding commerce and business and entertainment, you know, and it might also help them understand history is like, what kind of, what did that music represent a break from? What were people's work shifts like? Who went to see this music? Apparently Shakespeare likewise was apparently low class, not high class entertainment. And, you know, some of the jokes, there's like double entendres, it can be a little bit like body. It can be a little bit, uh, you know, not, you know, it can be, a, you know what I mean? Like if you translated Shakespeare faithfully into like from English into like Spanish and then had somebody else translated back in English that didn't know it was prestigious, it would probably be like kind of like a raucous, you know, thing. And it's beautiful language and all of that too, right? But you know, it's kind of interesting to think, like, hey, where are the people that were going to these shows? Like, what were their day jobs? Like, you know, who was going? Was it somebody that was like a, you know, a sailor that's coming back and they like half got scurvy and then they're going to listen to some classical music or they see Shakespeare and like trying to understand that. And like that could make a kid fall in love with history. But instead, he's like, okay, we're studying the American Revolution, we're studying the American Civil War, then we're going to skip all this stuff. We're going to talk about World War One for like five minutes because it's too like morally complex and ambiguous. There's too much going on. Then we're going to focus on World War Two. Like, look, the good guys, we win. Okay, now we the bad guys in Vietnam. Like, this is like the American history curriculum, right? You know. Um, and it's, it's garbage, you know? Like, I hated history. I hated history as a student. Hated it. And I love history. I'm like, I'm a historian now because I could pick an era I like and go as deep as I want. And then eventually, it, it, it kind of blends in. You know, if you really love Japan and you're studying Japanese history, eventually you'll come back to the Tang Dynasty in China. Eventually you'll come back to Chinese Chan Buddhism, which came from India. Buddhism that migrated northwards was attributed to Bloody Dharma. You'll eventually come across that. So you'll eventually be brought into Chinese history and Indian history, even if you just love Japan only. So, like, the ability to get into like one thing in history and fall in love with it and engage with it the way you want. And that could be, you know, you start with music and that might lead to public sanitation. That might lead to, you know, trade empires and, and merchant shipping and whatever, you know, because like things are connected, you know, right? But the kids just are like, you need to learn this because somebody in the freaking Board of Education decided you need to learn this. And like, you know, like most topics don't interest most people naturally, right? There's an infinite number of topics and we're not interested, we're not completely fascinated by all of them. You know what I mean? And like, you just get into one of them that you really like, you know, and it, it activates a level of learning and it, it branches, you know, it branches and you get into other stuff. Um, and like, mm -hmm. I wish school was more, more like that. I think that would be just a much nicer world. But very hard to grade, very hard to regulate, very hard to standardize, very hard to do. So I'm also sympathetic as yeah. why it is the way it is. Maybe it's almost as good as it could be. I don't think so, but maybe, I don't know, it's difficult. It would be sad if we couldn't come up with a better system. I certainly, uh, I mean, yeah, I certainly believe that it, there should be some some uh, things. Looking back, I'm not sure, you know, like, it's very hard to put yourself in your shoes. How was I when I was seven years old, six years old, eight years old? How did I think? Uh, I, you know, I, I looked out of the window a lot of times. I was very much a, I was daydreaming quite a bit, which apparently is not even bad. It's actually not a bad thing to be bad at daydreaming. Um, but uh, yeah, we had, we actually talked about, uh, you know, interest formation a couple of weeks back, looked at what shape uh, interest, and we, we realized that many times it's, a, a very random occurrence. Like in some areas, your interest is sparked and I would do very well in the subjects that for whatever reason I liked a lot and, and, and found interesting. And I wouldn't sometimes do so well in other subjects I didn't find interesting. And um, I don't think we came to the conclusion that that seems to be quite relevant and um, making sure it, as a parent, you have a lot of leverage in creating interest. Like just speaking of the seeds of interest, it's the magic, finding ways to package it. Um, yeah, in a, in a more presentable form. And here, when we talk about history, I mean, you know, uh, I think I think you are a big fan, and I am, and probably our listeners know him as well, you know, Hardcore History, Dan Carlin. Who's the best really podcast on the internet. It's better than ours. It's better than ours. It's okay. It's, it doesn't bother me. Totally Dan Carlin's the man. It's the best podcast. Who's also like really showing people, man, history is, is amazing. But uh, in, in school, I feel like history is facts plus plus dates, very much. I hate school history. It's facts. The facts are like, I don't care what year the Battle of Austerlitz happened. It doesn't matter. Yeah, it doesn't matter what year the Battle of Austerlitz was. Like, that's not the point. Right. And uh, instead of focusing on the stuff that humans are also naturally design or causality inventing toughness like lessons mistakes of judgment boldness yeah i mean history is a bunch of interesting stuff um you know i guess the problem is if you opt out this is a real problem this is the problem with school and so if there's a young younger listener college listener of ours this is something i i would hope that, that we can maybe get across to them the world like the real world 
loves when you're really freaking good at one thing and like adequate, like not a problem in the other areas. You're okay. You know what I mean? That's a great world, right? You can't know like zero math and be like, a, you know, like a total dummy, like your money will get managed bad and make like little obvious mistakes or whatever, right? But you're like, okay at math and you're incredible at writing short stories or you've got just a wonderful mind for like practical solutions to things or bringing people together or, you know, you're wonderful, uh, you know, composing music or whatever. And you go all in on that. But you know, a kid that's like, you know, whatever, you got your music class, maybe in high school, maybe playing band, school band, after school. If you blow off and cut your other classes to just practice your instrument, you're gonna fail. You're not gonna get to college, you're gonna fall off the mainstream social script. Your parents are gonna be freaking worried about you, you know? And, you know, like real life, like you go to college, right? Like if you can get really, really, really good at one thing, I don't know that one thing is really, really, really good at it. Like that's very valuable. And there is value in learning how to like organize your affairs and be disciplined to at least pass your other classes. There's some value in that. But like the world wants you to be really, really, really good at one thing or two things or some synthesis of things, you know, but not well-rounded. Like well-rounded is often synonym for mediocre, you know what I mean? And like the person that's like okay with numbers, okay with science, comfortable enough with computers, uh, can converse and communicate a little bit doesn't write particularly well, but doesn't embarrass themselves at writing, knows some random facts about history, but not any particularly novel ones. <laughs> this is not, this isn't great. This isn't like, nobody's really excited to be friends with that person. That person is not a, a particularly a valuable addition to a, a salon or a dinner party. Uh, that person is not particularly in good shape to, to be employed anywhere or doing anything interesting uh, or cool. Like, right. like you find the thing that you're got some gifts at and some interest in and you're really freaking good at it. Uh, that's, that's, that's the way. Not, I haven't screwed anything up. I'm like, not great at anything, but like, look, I got bees in all these classes. No, mm. Not good. Yeah. But, I mean, I think maybe that used to be in the past when we weren't as, when just stuff wasn't you know, like, I don't know what it, when is the year when it switched, but I think, um, you know, up until maybe a couple hundred years ago, it was basically possible to know all of human knowledge. Like someone could reasonably be, it's so impressive when you read these, these early like 1900 scientists who had papers in physics and discovered something new in math, maybe did some, some artistry on the side as well. So they just were on the, on the forefront of so many different uh, fields, laying the, the foundational groundwork. And these days you have to basically study for 10 years down a very, very narrow path until you can then contribute, um, some additional knowledge in that direction. because most of the, the hard, well, the foundational work has been done in many, many fields. That is totally true, right? That's why Aristotle was able to be so good at so many other things, and that's why Da Vinci was able to be so good at so many things. There's, there's low-hanging fruit, so if you got really curious, and willing to work hard, and you got a couple of different problem-solving methods, and can iterate, I mean, it's very, very possible. I mean, like, people weren't literate until very recently, so if you could read and write, you had this whole world unlocked that other people didn't. see so this super advantage, right? And then, you know, whatever books were kind of rare, if you access good libraries, you know. With that said, I have a belief that's kind of, um, like an adjacent point. It doesn't refute or dispute that point, but it's adjacent to it. You know, I sometimes think about a lot. The world, like collectively, there used to be belief in the world. It was very, very common in a lot of places. And something called universal genius. I think it's probably the Wikipedia entry on it. Do you know what I mean? And like certainly if you go away, it was like a thing. So they said, oh, Da Vinci's a universal genius. If Vinci didn't make contributions, it's just because he didn't get around to it, but he could have. Mm. You know what I mean? Aristotle, universal genius, and so on. Right? Not, not everyone was a genius was a universal genius. You know, Newton did a few things and was like really good at one of them, right? You know? Um, but there was a concept of a universal genius. Um, some people put Thomas Jefferson in that category, some people put Ben Franklin in that category, some people argue who they are, but there's people that are really good at a lot of things. I believe that the belief in universal genius has like largely gone extinct. Like people believe that that's not possible anymore. Mm. Like it's, it's just like not talked about. Like, last time you heard this phrase, it even like, kind of sounds like like a pre. Yeah, this doesn't sound like anything that's been said in the last 50, 70 years. Do you know what I mean? It sounds like an 1800s sort of thing, right? So when you, when you talk about uh, Da Vinci, that's like the most common, probably person that gets this attribute. I'm, Universal yeah. genius, yeah. Or but, I mean, like, even like Winston Churchill. You know what I mean? He was yeah, he was a politician, but he was also like a journalist. He was also an accomplished writer. He won a Nobel Prize in literature. You know what I mean? He was like a bricklayer and like did a bunch of other stuff too. You know what I mean? He was like a soldier. He was like a good shot. He was an inventor. He, like Churchill did a bunch of stuff, right? Um, I think there's this belief that that's not possible anymore, right? So like it's totally true that like. You're way better off specializing, getting really good at something. And that might be like a collection of things to synthesize. Then you are just like mediocre at everything. If there's any listeners that are checking out what we're all about. But I also think that like you can get really, really, really good at generally solving problems, moving fast, being calm under pressure, thinking clearly. You can get a baseline of just generally useful techniques. Logic and statistics are two of the top, just really useful ways to think about things. And you can learn a little bit of math, a little bit of writing, and kind of like have the tool set to be able to solve all sorts of unrelated problems. Right. And you know, we live in like a very credentialed world. We live in like a very credentialed world, right? Like even on this show, you and I are very, very careful to disclaim that we don't have PhDs, we don't have MDs. We're like reading the results and now we're going to wildly speculate about like maybe cortisol has a such and such effect or whatever, but like we're really, really careful, right? To not like, I mean, first off, you like literally like start giving medical advice wrongly. I mean, you're probably not going to go get fine or go to jail, but maybe, but like you're going to get ostracized if you're like, who well, these freaking jerks think they are? Mm. You know what I mean? And yet at the same time, at the same time, when you and I go through and read together a collection of five or six different obscure, interesting papers, we might be the only two people that have read that collection of five or six papers. We've got a basis of scientific literacy between us. We take it that seriously. We know some stats, you know, between us, you know, you're a little more developed on, on some of the 
you know, biochemistry and organic chemistry stuff to me, but I can hang there. Um, you know, I think I've maybe taken statistics a little further than you have, but you can hang there. You know what I mean? We bring these different mental models. You bring a bunch of engineers' mental models um, to problems. You know, uh, I spent time as a writer and a historian, amateur historian a little bit. I can bring those home. What was, by the way, one of the sneaky best benefits of a historian you'll get for like a while, it's like a level 20 in Dungeons and Dragons historian perk, is um, the ability to eventually, you learn a lot, but eventually you're like, this is what people believed at this time when these inventions weren't made. And this is what the person that spotted the invention the line they thought that's like one of the super perks you need a lot of it first you need a lot of it to be like people live this way for a very long time then this one person or this small group of people or this succession of a few people from similar line of thought figure out a much better way to do things and then it was like wildfire so that's like a cool one that i bring when we're looking at science and scientific paradigms right so between us we bring some different stuff right you bring some, some engineering you bring some linear systems complex systems and chaotic systems um we bring some different stuff we're the only people like we've got this baseline of techniques and knowledge between us there's two of us which helps we talk and riff and explore right like, like right now we can talk we talk about franz de Waal. Right, you hadn't read that. I have tried awareness. We talk about the music stuff and the history of music. I didn't know the people used to dance classical. So these things kind of merge, right? It's like kind of like two people get together, like do more stuff. It's very likely if these five papers we picked were sound, and we study them, and we bring the knowledge that we already had, that we could come up with unique insights. This doesn't even seem reasonable. Like this is very reasonable, but like people just don't do this. Mm. Like I love doing this. I love, I love when we get together and do this. Do you know what I mean? But like people just like don't do this. And I feel like they, I feel like people don't realize this is possible. You know, like if, if you meet people that do like make some hypotheses and test them in science, or you people do prototyping, in inventing or engineering, where you meet somebody that actually does something, you know, in material science and like early on, like kind of like odd lines of like, hey, maybe we could do this thing this way that might be useful in this type of device. You're like, okay, this isn't magic. It's all very logical. And second, often the initial forays to see if there's anything there are actually pretty fast, right? right? Perfecting something. If you have an angle on maybe this would be a better chemical process for this fairly obscure thing that nobody's really looking into, nobody's even really trying right now. The idea of like, oh, can I mix this stuff in with this grout and would it dry faster, <laughs> right? You know, like and if it's like an obscure thing, if you visit Guatemala and there's some chemical substances not commonly used anywhere else, huh, what has these properties? We mix it with freaking grout and see if the bricks dry. If that actually kind of works to rigorously test whether it definitively works and then to do it scale and safely and check out all weird conditions about how's it age, what insects interact with it, what is there acidification, what's rain, what's dry, what's an earthquake, you're doing all that stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, need the, the, you probably should have a PhD and put a lot of meticulous work if you wanted to make this super Guatemalan concrete grout thing. It's like a marketable safe thing. But they're like, screw it. I'm going to mix this thing with this grout. And I know enough chemistry to know that it's not going to throw off any toxic substance. A couple hours. So initially, instead of seeing it, mm-hmm. idea, right? And then a couple hours to mix it together. And you check it the next day. It takes 30 minutes. And you got a preliminary result. And if it doesn't work, it's like fun to mess around with stuff. You know what I mean? It's like fun to mess around with stuff. So I think there's this idea that you just like can't mess around with stuff unless you have a PhD in the field, you know? And like, you can. I mean, be careful. I'm not saying like mess around with dangerous stuff. Like, I'm sorry, I'm the engine of your car randomly and blow something up. But you know, like, a lot of harmless messing around, hypothesizing, talking about ideas, doing little prototypes, testing little ideas. Very possible. A lot of it. I don't know. We've been working all the time. Like, our hit rate is like, Less than you would want. So if you get discouraged if one experiment goes badly, then you're in the wrong game. You know what I mean? Most novel ideas are not good, naturally. But like, realizing something hits a lot, and it's really cool. Do you, know, do you believe in universal genius? Do you think it's like a cultivatable thing where you can get to the point where you're like, good at a ton of stuff? Yeah, I mean, we, we mentioned, or you mentioned multiple times, if you've shown that you're good at a few things, 2.5, <laughs> 5, then uh, I think, um, and it's just time. Um, I mean, if you're other specifics, yeah, like the term, you know, universal genius, I just actually Googled it. It, ref- it um, forwards to polymath. I think the term is now used a little bit different as well, where if you're, if you can like decently play an instrument and you like also know some martial arts and you speak a few languages, okay. And, uh, you know, you know how to program and, and maybe you can climb the tree. Now you consider the polymath these days. It doesn't necessarily mean that you have to be exceptional at many different topics. It just means that you have to be reasonably competent at many different topics. I think it's kind of like the, yeah, that ain't what I'm talking about. Someone needs to undirect this Wikipedia. We need to like, <laughs> you know, like we need to like go to the top page and be like, yo, y'all are freaking redirecting wrong. This is the same, right? It depends. I mean, if we like universal genius, there is the capacity to be really, really good at any, at multiple different things. And then these days there is, there is a, a bottleneck, which is it might take five to 10 years in, in certain areas to get to the very forefront. Like if you want to make some advances in, in, um, like, what do you think about that? Like in- yeah, that's, well, that's true. No, yeah. I, yes. No. Right. So like, you know, if you want to bring like the hot topic on the cutting edge of a field forwards, absolutely. Absolutely. Right. So if you're gonna try to advance an understanding of like quantum mechanics and physics, or you're gonna try to build yeah. experimental instruments that have not been built to track quantum phenomena. Like I was looking to paper on quantum mechanics the other day. And I'm like, I am, I'm not normally like confused just when I like start getting into something, but I'm like, there's a lot going on here. You know what I mean? Like I'm not, yeah. I'm almost feeling like I'm getting trolled. I'm like, is this even real? <laughs> like, like apparently yeah. it is. Like, I don't know. Right. So I, I like, I'm, I'm rarely do I look at something that's like a set of scientific concepts and just feel like, like I'm, I'm blank. Do you know what I mean? So sure. If you want to bring the, the, the forefront of quantum physics forwards. Um, yeah, that's, that's a ton of work to get there. What's interesting. And um, I can come up with this. I want to credit the right person, but I'm not remembering who it might've been. Um, Gawanda who wrote the checklist manifesto, right? Might've been him that said it, but it might've been somebody else. Um, that's interesting. That a lot of times the innovations, the major, major 
breakthrough innovations in a field mm-hmm. are when people are coming from an unrelated field, they bring something that's common from their field to another one. So I believe Gawanda, if I remember correctly, was a either public health guy or a surgeon or both. He was a medical guy, right? And yeah. in the um, aeronautics and airplane flying and piloting, they heavily use checklists and, and absolutely make sure, okay, the fuel intake's on, the wings are de-iced, the landing gear is up or down, the radio's on the right frequency, whatever. Cabins pressurized or depressurized or whatever, right? Like they, doors are shut. So they've just learned to like, there's like a bunch of conditions that need to be true for an airplane to not crash. No ice, engines on, nothing in front of the engine, wheels work, landing gear in the right place, whatever, right? So the airline industry figured this out a long time ago. Like you, gotta, you, gotta, you gotta go through these checklists. You can't do it off memory. There's just a bunch of like individual discrete things you go through every single time. Some of them are rare. Like some of them are rare conditions. So you put them in the middle of a checklist that has a bunch of essential stuff on it to just double check that there's no ice in the fuel tank or whatever, right? And uh, apparently, apparently, like medicine was like a late adopter of checklists going into surgeries or procedures or stuff, right? So people get the wrong level of anesthesia or in one poor story, somebody like the wrong limb amputated like they needed one like their left leg amputated mm. whatever gangrene yeah. or something they amputate the right leg and left the gangrene as well so, i'm sorry losing close your leg sucks to you double check which leg verbally with people three times <laughs> right likewise um yeah. Eli Goldratt, um absolutely uh, revolutionized industrial engineering uh, one of my favorite um books the goal by Eli Goldratt. it's like a masterpiece of engineering and statistics and calculus that are all the concepts are all buried in a fictional story about a guy that's like taking over a factory that's like failing and like marriage is falling apart at the same time it's a fictional story like all the math and, and, and engineering concepts are like underneath the hood they're like it's all like super simple but like you, you kind of get it indirectly it's really, really beautiful but he just brought a bunch of concepts from physics mm. of like hey we can we can look at like yeah. the stuff moving through factory like waves and like how do waves diffuse you know like the ocean breakers and whatever right he just modeled it all as like waves, inventory and raw material as like waves. And that was the start of the idea. So I think I'm getting this correct. I'm getting going off memory. But like, so, so he did some just breakthroughs. And, and, and one of his core arguments was that y'all are doing accounting completely wrong. In industrial things, you're making cars, you're making TVs, you're doing it completely wrong. So the way they did is they used cost accounting, which is they would take the labor cost, the plant cost, the material cost, and then they would take the number of finished products and divide it by the cost, right? So if you make more of a thing, if you make another car, your, your, your cost basis per car goes down. And he said, that's only true if you sell that other car. Like if you have to scrap that other car or keep it in inventory and then scrap it or sell it at a loss, that's not like, that's like funny money, right? You've got your fixed costs yeah. to your thing. And then you get your capacity from your fixed costs. And then you have your variable costs. If you're below capacity, right? And you can sell it more than the variable cost is profitable, right? If you can't sell it more than the variable cost or you need to add capacity to do so, then it might not be profitable. It's not in the first case, it might not be in the second one. And he's just like, hey, you throughput accounting, not, not cost accounting. You know what I mean? And like, mm. so he innovated in industrial engineering. Industrial engineering factory design and setup. Like some engineers, you're like a real engineer. Some like real engineers don't like industrial engineers. Call industrial engineers like, you know, closer to interior decorators than you are to genuine engineers, right? But, you know, so he brought some breakthrough things by just knowing from different fields and not being intimidated. He wasn't like, well, I didn't get a PhD in optimizing factories. He's like, I'm a smart guy, I'm a physicist. So what's wrong? Let me just mess around with it. So I agree that if you're at the sharp point of the spear and you're trying to advance the most cutting edge, then you do need a lot of foundational knowledge. But sometimes like the field is just like completely neglecting something that's like totally obvious. And like you spot that and then you have the confidence to go for it or try and see if it works, you know. That makes sense. Does that necessarily um, make you a um, universal genius? Oh, I mean, it's just a term. I'm just throwing it out. I'm just saying people can do a lot of stuff. I'm not going to throw up on terms. No, for sure. And I, I think it's super worthwhile to, to think of this. Like something that I found very, very encouraging is like when lay people contribute to scientific papers. You know, I, I saw this with a, uh, like basically a you know, nutrition blogger that uh, add some insights and put together like approach to approach a university so hey this, this might be an interesting idea for a study and uh, well his name is ultimately on the paper oh that's so cool oh that's so cool i've occasionally got invited to participate in papers including in some prestigious ones but there was like a lot of like rigmarole involved i mm. hope this like gets easier you know there's that breakthrough math thing that was like posted on like reddit or something did you, did you hear about this i think i heard about it but don't know the specifics yeah let me, let me, let me google okay. i'm going breakthrough math thing reddit was it math was it, was, it, was, it, was it just on archive or was it on reddit like breakthrough math reddit breakthrough math it was just on archive i don't know it's not coming up it's not coming up it's not coming up, but, but there was, I forget, just somewhere on the internet, somebody anonymously posted the solution to some math or math adjacent problem that was like a big deal. And it was like an anonymous thing. It was by like, I love kittens <laughs> username. Like my cat, my cat has a bouncy tail was the username of the person or whatever. And so there's actually, there's actually, so, so one of the reasons I saw it was a, it was a funny commentary. They weren't sure how to cite it because they had no one to attribute it to, no, no affiliation, you know, an anonymous contributor or whatever. And I think that was like a breakthrough moment when people realized. So math is like the thing that's most amenable to this. If you write a proof, it's correct. You yeah. know, proofs can be very, very complex, but um, in, you know, the way math works is, you know, you go through and make sure there's no sneaky divide by zero in there or some incorrect methodology or whatever. And like math is just correct, right? So, you know, if I try to write like an art history paper and I'm like, hey, like the architecture here was like shaped by the Mongol invasions in their soul. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like they might be like, get the hell out of here where they might take it seriously if I had it art history degree. You know, I mean, if I cite somebody's journals or something that are obscure and I kind of highlight some, some facts, yes, if it's interpretable, maybe not. But like, hey, math is math. You know what I mean? Like it works or it don't, right? So I'm hoping, I'm hoping there's a little bit more of a opening 
for you know people to participate in scientific breakthroughs because you know I mean like you know when you look at our social circles, some of our customers, some of our friends, some of the people that we're around, a lot of people are actually doing some really genuinely breakthrough work. And like it's just not easy to call somebody up at a university and be like, hey, you want to jam on this a little bit? You know what I mean? Like, I want to like just like memorialize this in science and get other smart people reading about it in this phenomenon. Because there's lots of wonderful knowledge happening in you know things like blogs and podcasts. Yeah, there's a lot of junk. There's a lot of beautiful, wonderful work happening. But like the ability to go through a more formal, more rigorous thing that will then be peer reviewed and like participate in that system. It's kind of like if you're not in that system, it's quite difficult to interact in that system. You know what I mean? So that's kind of a bummer. I think it'd be nice if that, if that opened up a little more. But but it's cool what you just said. No reason conceptually why people couldn't do that. But like you know, like there's a bunch of strength and conditioning coaches and nutritionists and stuff. They're not you know doing graduate studies or postgraduate studies that like probably have a lot of really good insights and maybe really good data sets, right? And it would be like cool if that, that door was a little bit more open to just like mm. advanced science. Yeah, for sure. Cool. This was a that was fun, huh? interesting conversation. Um, Mike's on. I, I went back and forth between remembering if the mic was on or not. Sometimes we're kind of just getting into it. Other times I, yeah. I knew the mic was on yeah. a little bit. Yeah. I think it takes some, a little bit of practice eventually, but moving the um, mic on versus mic off experience closer together, I think that's the ultimate goal. Yeah. Narrowing the gap, yeah. All right. Yeah. I might uh, stop and listen. Thanks, Chris. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Hey, everybody, if you want to listen to this, well, <laughs> thank you. That was fun, Chris. Thank you. All right. Take care.